Hey, it's Alexis Haynes, and this is my podcast, Recovering from Reality. Today's episode was brought to you by Osea Malibu. You guys know that I love Osea. It's not just because their products are super natural and clean and have no harsh ingredients in them, but it's because when I use their products, I literally feel like I'm in a spa. I kid you not. They smell so good. I just love their white algae mask and their oil control blemish lotion. It absolutely has changed the way that my skin looks. And I also use that, um, the oil control blemish lotion underneath my makeup and it just keeps my complexion looking so good throughout the day. My makeup always stays perfect and I just love it. I'm so grateful for them sponsoring the Recovering from Reality podcast. I love the whole team over there and you guys can now go to Venice and get facials um, at Osea Malibu. They opened a cute little spa there where you can go and have your skin evaluated and they will talk to you about all of your skincare needs. So check them out um, at Osea Malibu. Thanks guys. All right. So I'm just going to dive in. Molly, Evan, thank you so much for coming together and uh, having this dialogue. I think a lot of people are going to benefit from it. Recovering from reality is obviously a space where we can talk about challenging and difficult topics. I think that um, talking about politics at this point and the way that it affects us is um, absolutely necessary, but often challenging because Mm -hmm. um, I grew up and most of my life, people are like, we just don't talk about politics. And I don't even think my mom, I don't think I ever saw my mom even vote growing up. Um, We didn't, uh, it just wasn't discussed. And I, um, since Donald Trump's election, there's been so many, um, so much clarity and so many hard truths that I've had to swallow. And, and, you know, the dialogue around privilege, I would just like to hear from you, like how you think that we got to the place that we're in now and, and then following up with how do we get ourselves out of this? So, I mean, these are like the big questions. (laughs) Like if I knew the (laughs) answers to these, I'd be, I mean, I could say for sure that I think we got into this because of a number of reasons. I mean, I think it's important to remember, certainly for me, when he won, I remember thinking to myself, like, my God, are we all like, I, I like, who are the kind of people who support this guy? Like, we know he's sexual molester, we know, or sexual harasser. We know he's um, used a lot of really scary racist language, and he's defended a lot of really scary people. Like, I thought to myself, oh, my God, America, we're what what kind of country is this that we've um, that we are in that we've done this. And even though I was very much committed to not electing him and to trying to get Hillary elected, I definitely it was like a scary truth about America to watch him get elected. And I think you saw that in the media. Um, But it wasn't our fault. And I think it's important. I always think about this. It's like. She won the popular vote. 
he didn't win by very much. And there were a lot of weird factors. And so I wouldn't, you know, it's important not to despair from this or to think that all of America is, you know, there were a lot of people really hurting in certain parts of America. And they were told, and Donald Trump told them that he would fix things for them. And, you know, he was not bound by the truth the way that a lot of political candidates are more bound. And so he just, uh, you know, he just um, it took advantage of a lot of people. I want to something that you said um, that, you know, that it's not our fault. Um, it made me think of this. And I was talking to Evan about this earlier, is that I think that the DNC, the, that the, the the Democratic platform kind of had this idea, and, the, and it is kind of the coastal elites, that like racism is a thing of the past and sexism is a thing of the past and we're moving forward and we've pushed through that and a female can be president. And I think that the Republican Party all along knew like, no, that racism still exists. I mean, they benefit off of racism still being alive and sexism still being alive. And so I think that this was such a huge eye opener for me because I, you know, and it speaks to our education system and just so many broken things that, that have been going on for so long. But, um, I really did believe like, you know, I'm not a racist and I don't, I've never seen racism. So therefore it doesn't exist. And, right. you know, I don't get, I haven't really dealt. I didn't really realize that. Well, yes, I was, I've dealt with a lot of sexism and things like that. I didn't know what that was before this dialogue started happening. And so, well, yes, it's not our fault. And, and we're now seeing all of this stuff coming out with like the Mueller report and the Russians and, and changing the election and all of that. I think that there's like, a really awesome dialogue that's started to happen because of this. And I think it's waking a lot of people up to like very real truths about what's been going on in America forever. I mean, yeah, I think that's true. I, I mean, there's, there's always been that kind of thing. There's always been a lot of stuff that we in the coast, you live in California, I live in New York, don't necessarily see quite as much. I wouldn't, I would say, yeah, I mean, Hillary came very close to winning. There were a lot of factors. I'm not convinced that the reason she didn't win was because she was a woman, though I do think the reason that Trump was able to get away with a lot of the, you know, the the tape and the, you know, that mm -hmm. Access Hollywood tape. And, you know, we had all these women who came forward who said he had molested them and nobody cared. So that kind of stuff and the Kavanaugh stuff, there's definitely a lot of misogyny still in America, which is kind of shocked. Some of that stuff, the Kavanaugh stuff got me so incredibly shocked. And then also the abortion bans, these eight abortion bans. So yes. there's a lot of scary stuff. I mean, as a sober person, like if we're just going to go into like the sobriety aspect of it, it's important for me not to get myself too crazy and too wrapped up in it. You know, I spend a lot of time writing about politics, focused on politics, you know, talking about politics. And so I try really hard to sort of do what I can do, write what I can write and not get too angry and just be um, like there are certain things 
Trump is president. He is going to be president until 2020. Unfortunately, certain parts of the of this experience are kind of what they are. So I have to be I have to, you know, I accept the things I can't change and I change the things I can't accept. And so just like because a lot of people in my life have like gone, including my mother, have like gone crazy about Trump. And I understand it. And I think it's super important. And we can't normalize any of this. And there are so many reasons to stay vigilant. And there's this scary authoritarian stuff. But I also think like we have to put our mental health first. Like I'm really careful. I try to go to a meeting every day. I go to yoga every day. I because I just otherwise I just get too anxious. You know, and then oh, I'm not so helpful feel to that. anyone. Yes. Well, right <laughs> we were, after he we were got talk- elected. <laughs> go ahead, Ev. And you're someone whose uh, Twitter I tune into because of, I'd say, the mental health benefits. So for people who are so kind of shocked and appalled by the things that are happening, people like yourself who use this very interesting, and I'd like to talk to you about that, interesting combination of intelligence and humor. The humor for me is healing. I mean, if we can't laugh, it's this combination of, I guess, just it is itself maybe enlightenment, that combination. Yeah. I mean, I think the the thing that it is so absurd, so much of this is absurd, like his ca- the people in his cabinet are in- absurd. Like the thing that got me the most upset, but I, but is hilarious, it, but in this like soul crushing kind of way was Pruitt, Scott Pruitt. The um, EPA chair who what who had come had, had been a coal lobbyist like this mm-hmm. was the greatest example of of absolute unadulterated you know banish destroy the go- federal government kind of stuff and when he uh, got appointed I was so upset but I have to say like he is the most comedic and because he's so and he's such a terror I mean. You know, he was buying tactical pants and building $30,000 um, phone booths and picking up lotion in the Trump hotel and used mattresses. <laughs> like everything the guy did was hilarious. I mean, horrifying. Like the stuff he did to the environment, we're never going to be able to undo. But thank God that there was this. He was so stupid. I mean, the one good thing about all of this is these people are so stupid. The stuff they do, it's hilarious, but it's also like they're so incompetent that that is what's saving the country right now. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like the producers. I used to turn to Gawker.com, which was my favorite website know, at the time for that same kind of cathartic uh, and and that, that same ethos. And, you know, look, it was, I guess, Hulk Hogan and Hulk Hogan's lawyer who, who, who took them down eventually, Peter Thiel, um, Peter Thiel. and whatnot. Right. And then, uh, that same attorney, I guess, works for Melania Trump and the Trumps now too. So it's this kind of, it, it, not only is the sort of biodiversity in nature being put at risk, so is the like biodiversity in, in, in our culture. This, the humor, the intelligence is kind of at risk. And I think, you know, people like yourself kind of standing up for, for that, uh, aspect of, of life are so important. Well, thank you so much. I mean, I would say the good news in a weird way and I, about this is that some of the newspapers and magazines have become more voicey in a good way because of Trumpism, because there's no longer, you know, we have a president who is not, he's not a serious person and he doesn't, 
do, you know, there's, he doesn't really care about the rule of law or any of the, of the traditions of journalism. So, and his, and his network, Fox News Network is so propaganda heavy that the real newspapers are able to be more voicey and a little more fun because there aren't the same rules. So as much as I hate Trumpism, I would say the one thing is like you read op-eds in the New York Times. Like I was reading something today and I thought this is like something I would never think I would see in the New York Times. Like they're just a little more. There's something about the fact that the world, you know, we're on the we're on the precipice of a climate catastrophe. We have a lot of problems, but um, there's something about that insanity that's as much as it's terrifying. It's also like weirdly hilarious. Well, we know in our sobriety journeys too, like everything kind of has to crash and burn <laughs> before it can kind of start to get better. Right. I mean, right. like it's like, it's kind of like Trump in a way as much as he like literally is a monster and a terror, he's waking up a lot of people and he's allowing um, some healing to kind of take place because of the monstrosity that he and his family and the culture, the Trump culture are. And I mean, speaking of voices and kind of empowering people to find their voice i mean look at these movements look at the times up look at the me too look at women mm-hmm. screaming from the roof i mean just uh, last week I, or the week before that episode i had a, repro- a midwife come on to talk about reproductive health rights and um i shared my abortion story i would have never ever right. felt comfortable doing that before this era where we're kind of like where now I feel motivated to scream and yell like no I've been raped I've been sexually abused as a child all at the hands of men I've had abortions you know what I, and I'm still like a respectable woman thank you very much right. you know what I it's right. like we would have never found these um, and had this conversation around race and how to be a good ally and how to support people of color and talking about, you know, um, uh, 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 prison rates among people of color. And it kind of does piss me off, though, going into that topic that they've kind of they, the narrative around that has it, it like Jared Kutcher took over that whole like, well, I'm going to do prison reformation now right. and i'm like fuck you like no you don't get that you don't get that and why have the democrats not been doing shit about that like we should have um, been like countering that the whole time like no you twat right i mean the the sort of <laughs> laundering of jared and ivanka is something that i am pretty committed to trying as much as possible to help the media not forget that where they came from <laughs> I mean, she's incredible yeah. because she's like, and I'm here for women's rights. And I'm like, do you not see your dad, uh, the whole administration? Um, uh, I, I think there's some good stuff they're doing with prison reform. I don't know that it's like counterbalances all the other incredible crimes they've committed as an administration. I don't think that, uh, I don't know. I mean, Jared, it, it Jared, Jared, I mean, if you see that interview, there was an Axios interview last a uh, couple days ago yes. where he was like, right? And Jonathan Swan was like, do you think birtherism is racist? And he was like, I wasn't involved with that. It was like four uh, years ago, Heidi. Like um, five times, he says. 
Right. Yeah. And you can tell he was like freaked out that his dad, his father-in-law was going to get mad at him. And like, I, I don't, I think it'll be interesting to see what happens with um, them and that kind of legacy. They're, they're both, uh, they're both trying to keep their hands clean, but in the end, you, you can't escape Trumpism. It's, it, it permeates everything. And as we've seen from like Kelly and Mattis, it's impossible to be in that administration and to be anything other than a willing participant. So I'd be real mm-hmm. surprised if those two get out looking anything other than what they are, which is kleptocrat. And I have, even, I have I mean, one that, question. Yeah, go on. What about Kellyanne Conway and George Conway? How do you, what's your theory? How do you explain that? Maybe explain <laughs> I mean, for anyone I'm who shocked. doesn't know who these people are. So Kellyanne Conway works for Trump. She is like one of the people who's worked for him for the longest. She ran the campaign. She's been there forever. She used to work for Ted Cruz. She was a pollster for many, many years and is very much part of the Washington scene. Her husband, George Conway, is a lawyer, was a partner at Wachtell, very, very smart, but very conservative. Um, I think, I think that it is, I think George doesn't like illegal stuff. And I think you spend your whole life being a lawyer and you're a conservative, but you're a lawyer. So you believe in the law. And then all of a sudden you elect this guy where you think, well, he's not this, he's not that, he's not a genius, but and then he just flouts the law at every chance he can. He breaks the law. I mean, Elizabeth Warren had this really great little concise bit about the Mueller report yesterday during her town hall. And it was basically, you know, the guy did all the stuff. <laughs> he, he sort of went down the uh, the categories and he did all those things. So the guy, you know, Trump, is, or as we call him, individual one, is... Uh, he did a lot of illegal stuff and he did a lot of obfuscation. And I think for someone like George Conway, who is a man who studied the law his entire life, I think it's very tough to look at that and not think uh, this is a mockery of everything I've spent my whole life. Do you think at on. home, though, they agree? They, they, they agree on that. Do you think she's in on it? Could she be the source of a lot of these leaks that you're hearing that must be coming straight from the top, given the he turnover must be rate? scared. Uh, he must be scared he, shitless too that like she's gonna end up in trouble like he must be giving her like right. legal advice he, no he like, is he what is. are you, you know like stay out of he, this don't do that Ugh. yeah i think it's uh, i think it's really sucks for him uh and i think that he's very worried about the legal ramifications of being in that administration i think that they are very disagreeing on this i think he thinks that she should leave and she doesn't want to leave that's what i think mm. i don't know that but that's my suspicion um because well, if she leaves like what kind of happens like he has like no females working for him advocating for him other than his daughter if she goes right, right? and she kind of spins that narrative of like no he's a feminist no he supports what you know what i mean like she's she's the spinner she's the spinner she's and it's very and she's yeah. very good at it. Very and so good at if it. she goes, it's kind of like, what happens? You know what I mean? I, like, she, yeah. she's kind of the glue right now. She's, well, she's been there the longest. She's very good at lying. I mean, I, she, you almost, I feel like they shouldn't have her on cable shows because she always wins. Yeah. She always wins. Like, you'll see her on a cable show and 
she'll be, it's like a joke. She always wins. And it doesn't matter what they try to do. She's just very good at this. And I think she also gets angry at them in a way that she's very smart about getting it to work. So I would say um, he would really, it would be bad for him to, it would be, I mean, I think she should, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I don't know how you, she can live with herself doing that, but obviously she can. And, um, and I don't know. I think it's very tough, but you know, they have a lot of kids and, you know, you want to do the right thing for your kids. And I, I think it's complicated for them. You know, well, I have a fantasy that, that, that she's our woman on the inside. She's you know, <laughs> feeding the, the law enforcement and, and journalists all the truth. And she's probably the last thing saving us from, from total anarchy. But well, the good news is they're really incompetent. They're not good legislators. <laughs> And I'm, I actually yeah. asked Nancy Pelosi this like a couple of years ago. I saw her at a, a thing and I was like, what? Because we were talking about the health care bill. And I was like, oh, my God, the health care bill. And she was like, they don't know how to legislate. She's like, they can't legislate. Don't worry. They're not good at this. And she so was look at right. the way that they're t- do with the abortion thing. They are, though, well, the, like where now except- there's one. Uh, abortion clinic in each state or none and they're you know what i mean they're going to challenge this and with the current supreme court like are they well here's the thing with the abortion bans there are eight a yes it's true there are eight bans they are none of them are at this moment able none of them are are on like they're they are like legislative they're like legislated, but they aren't enforced because none of them, they've all been striked down by lower courts or they're suspended. So nothing, you know, right now, Alabama never had a place you could get. An, they had one place you could get the morning after pill. Some of these places were never places where it was so easy to get an abortion. Um, or maybe there were two, you know, it's a complicated situation. Yes, it's definitely bad. Yes, it will go to the Supreme Court. Yes, they may overturn Roe v. Wade. I'm, I mean, that is really scary. They'll probably kick, I mean, not that this, I don't want to make you feel better because I want you to keep fighting, but they might kick it back (laughs) to the states. So you'll probably always be it. People will probably always be able to get an abortion in New York or LA or, you know, in California. I mean, that's not to say that it shouldn't, that this shouldn't be top of our minds. Like, this is, it a big should be deal. because and the people that it affects, that it affects most are lower income yes. women. Yes. Especially 100%. people of color who are living in those southern states that, yes. you know, and, and abortion is like a huge, it, it's such a you want to tackle abortion it's like you got to get education rates higher and you've got to fund public schools and you've got to get access Mm -hmm. to birth control and you've got to do all of these things that probably aren't going to happen for many many years unfortunately um because so many people profit off of uneducated poor people um and, and, and it's a back ass backward system but it's like we have to keep fighting because these women, especially rape victims and victims of incest, like they need to be able to access an abortion. And many can't take work off from their waitressing yeah. job or and drive seven hours to an abortion clinic and then, yep. you know, recover and then come home. It's like 
it's just we have to keep fighting for this and and it feels I don't want people to become complacent. I don't want a new news cycle to start happening. And then it's just like, oh, well, we forget about the fact that we really are under attack. You know, while yeah. things kind of slow down and these smaller courts push back and until it gets to the Supreme Court. Um, and that's didn't, didn't they I, just discovered that. Oh, sorry, I was going to say, didn't they just discover that um, the male rapist actually has parental rights? That they didn't right. think that yes. through. They're, um, right. I mean, in the cases of rape. No, there's a lot. They of, always no, have. It's a really scary. It's a really, really scary time. I, I would say, you know, we're just going to fight it. And there are a lot of people who are committed to fighting it. And we're going to fight it. And we're going to keep fighting. I mean, there's a lot of really weird cutouts and a lot of these bills that are, I mean, the, again, I don't want to like find a bright spot here, but. These people are very bad at legislating. They are very bad. Like there are certain cutouts, like the Alabama bill. I was just writing about this has a cutout for fertility clinics. So yeah. life begins at birth, except in a fertility clinic where life doesn't begin. I mean, there's so much hypocrisy and there's so many holes in this that I actually think ultimately the people who wrote these bills were not smart people. Like we, uh, I mean, the one thing about Trumpism that should make you feel a little better, and that's not to say, I mean, I think if people go out and vote, he won't get reelected. I think if we find a candidate who's reasonable and we support them, we will win and we will retire him and get him out of the White House. But the good, the one good thing is that the is that the president is there are no intellectuals who are pro Trump. There are no smart people who are involved in this. We are really, they are really the drags. So that is the one thing that can make you feel a little better. If anything, so, you know, so, <laughs> it does, I, so I'm more skeptical. Evan's right there with you. Like, no, there's, he's not going to be president for a second term. I'm very, I mean, I'm, we don't know. I mean, the fact that he has an approval rating at all is like, it's just, I, it's, I have very little hope. And and so when we're talking about moving into the future, I want to talk like politically, like what you think about the fact that we have like what over 20 candidates right now and what that's yeah. going to look like. But then I also want to talk about more on like an emotional level, like healing and how we can continue to um, advocate for ourselves and how we can continue to push forward, like in our personal lives. And then, of course, as a society. But first, I want to get into, um, you know, because in order to even start that healing phase, we need to <laughs> have him out of office. Um, so I'm right. curious what you think about these candidates. I mean, there are a lot of good candidates. There are 23 candidates right now that are the major candidates. I would say 29, eh, 16 of them are pretty good. I think. Um, if we, I think that after a couple debates, we'll sort of know who the best people are. I would be, there are about six or seven that I would be completely fine with. Like, I'm not so, I, I'm not, I personally think I'm, I, I'm not, I just want to win. <laughs> I'm not super I'm the concerned same with, with mm -hmm. like the nuances. How progressive. Like, yep. <clears throat> right. I like Kamala. I like Elizabeth Warren. I like Mayor Pete. I like um, Biden. 
you know, I, there are a bunch of really good candidates. I don't feel like there's a particularly, there's a particular magic. I mean, my, I would love, what I would love is for them to start matching up sooner rather than later and to mm-hmm. pick, you know, for two really top candidates to go president VP. I mean, that's always the dream. I think a lot of us were really disappointed when Hillary picked this guy we'd never heard of. <laughs> Who ended up? Who's yeah, a very even, nice who, guy? Who was it? I don't even remember who okay. it was. That's how much of a bore Tim he Gaines. was. It he was, was just a, like he's really a senator from Virginia. He's fine. He's a good Ugh. friend of hers. I mean, he was fine, but it was really not who we had. You know, I think if she had picked someone like Elizabeth Warren, you know, she really picked someone where there was no. It didn't feel like a big value add to me. Yeah. Uh, but so. If she, I, I think that if they pick someone who's reasonable, uh, I, I think, and then we work hard to help them and we just, you know, do everything we can do that hopefully it'll work out. I, look, all we can do is just commit ourselves to trying to help the candidates and, and that's all we can do. It, it's a tough situation. And can we talk about how many of the people who are just like, oh, I just don't really love Hillary or because Bernie, you know, they were Bernie supporters and then went to Trump. And it's like, I, I, you know, I love Bill Maher and he talks a lot about like how, no, it's a two party system and you just fucking vote Democratic. Period. <laughs> like, yeah. can we just rally around the idea uh, that like we're fucking voting Democratic, please? Let's, like, if you, <laughs> we, just well, I'd like to actually we can shed, only hope. some shed some light as a, a Canadian originally. I'm an American now. And, right. you know, uh, everyone talks about America being a two-party system. I think the actual primary process makes these two parties, we see them in all their diversity. Well, we see one party in all its diversity, and we get to choose. So we get to narrow the field through this really, like, broad spectrum and mixture of different ideologies and policy ideas i actually i think that although you end up with two parties um that the vetting and and the and the selection of the candidate is actually a a really it's what makes american politics very interesting and i think imagine if we did see someone like you know maybe joe biden but with elizabeth warren or a mayor pete that could be really exciting and and uh something i think a lot of people could uh, get behind well, that's, I think we all want that as some, is some kind of, uh, some kind of bridge between two of the candidates. I think that's the hope. I think we all feel like that, that there, you know, that we just want someone who, um, who is popular. I mean, it's an interesting time because Democrats really just care about beating Trump. Um, which it, it's, which is, we haven't, historically been that party you know that's fallen into line like that we tend to be a party where we fight with each other all the time but in this situation we really are there's just a larger problem which is trump i don't know i feel like the millennial very far left-leaning liberals uh no i just feel like they're <laughs> they just don't well, get it and i'm a millennial you know I'm what I mean? like i'm a younger millennial i'm all I'm, you know, what I'm hoping for is, so I, we went and visited some family in Orange County. Orange County is a very, very, very right wing community. Very, very, very Republican. Of course we want Orange County. 
Yeah, we did. Um, right. I'm and, just you know, so, so <laughs> we, so we're down there and visiting with some family, the wife voted, you know, uh, she just wrote in, you know, she's like, I'm not going to vote for Trump. So her vote went to Trump. Um, and so, and then <laughs> her husband, we're sitting down and we're talking about, we just start talking about politics. And like I said, uh, up until Trump became president, I never talked about politics with anybody. I actually didn't even really give a shit about politics before. Right, of course. Uh, I mean, I've only been able to vote since Obama's second term. So that's how young I am, right? I'm right. 28, turning 28. So, so I'm starting to get involved, and I'm and I'm learning a lot about policy and how the government works and all this stuff. So I'm sitting down, I'm talking to him. He's probably he's like a 54 year old doctor. Is you know pretty much your middle of the road Republican. And I was talking to him about like how we got here and we started talking about different policies. And I, it was funny because we were actually in alignment on like nine out of 10 issues. I think the one thing that we didn't agree with was we started talking about like the right to end your life in like a medical situation. And he's just like, as a doctor, like with my religious beliefs, like I just could not, um, write that prescription for somebody to go and end their life. And I was like, okay, so we, we, we didn't agree on everything, but at the end of the day, we talked about, you know, if we had a tea party candidate or another Trump candidate and Bernie, what we would do. And that's where we really disagreed. Cause I was like, I would go with Bernie, even though, you know, we're taxed really high. I don't want to be taxed any higher. I think we need to do a better job at like where we're putting this money, you know, and we need right. to start, um, you know, working better at taxing the top 1%, blah, blah, blah. And where he was like, well, no, I would go with the Trump candidate just because he has his own financial, you know what I mean? Beliefs and things like that. And so I'm thinking about, and he actually told me that he voted for Obama, which I was like, whoa, like that's, it's incredible. And so there are so many of these like middle, I think that we forget that there are so many of these middle of the road Republicans. And so when I'm thinking about a ticket and who is actually going to win and get us out of this mayhem, um, I'm really in support of Biden. And I don't even care who the VP is. I'd love a Kamala Harris. I'd love a more progressive, but right. I, I'm just focused on like who is going to get us out of this freaking mess. I mean, I think I, I think that's reasonable. I, I don't think you should worry so much about the hypotheticals right now. We're still 500 days from the election. <laughs> I, I not to 500 too far. Here. Right. I, or 499 <laughs> or something. Um, uh, so I just would say it, 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 the more we can do to support Democratic candidates to you know, raise money for, I mean, right now I'm waiting until the, until the primaries are done to really get behind a candidate because I just feel like it, I, I don't have a particular candidate that strikes me as more, uh, you know, as more electable than another. So I feel really comfortable supporting whoever is the candidate. And I think largely most of us do, but I wouldn't worry so much about the hypotheticals. I think that as we saw last night, Elizabeth Warren did this incredible town hall and she's really good and she has a lot of very liberal policies. I'm not sure that the liberal, what happened, I don't want to say anything negative about Bernie for a number of reasons. Um, <clears throat> also because 
I don't think that will solve our problems. I actually think that right now there, there's just a lot of room because we're in this primary system for people to really get out there. And because there are so many people, like last time there were only really two candidates. So yeah, it was a huge advantage for the people who were the candidates. Now we have all of these candidates and they're all really pretty impressive. And so I think there's a real, the people are going to have to fight for that, that nomination. And we're going to get to really see what's out there. And so I think that's actually going to be really good for democracy. But I also <laughs> think, I also think, uh, you know, there's a lot of climate stuff that's really scary. We're not. We're not seeing the full picture because this government is manipulating the data and we're not and and they're doing all sorts of sneaky stuff. The climate stuff is really scary. And we're going to that is going to end up being, I think, the number one thing we're going to have to deal with the next president. So hopefully that'll get yeah. dealt with sooner rather than later, because that is something that our children are going to. I mean, I don't know how we're going to wear how we're going to deal with that or what's going to happen. Yeah. That's really scary. Um, uh, what do you think about the, the green new deal? I mean, I think there are, I, I, the problem is we just need to know how, how fucked we are because (laughs) it may, I mean, not to be too net. I mean, we're going to have to do something radical about climate and, and we're going to have to work together with the rest of the world. Uh, I think Elizabeth, I I mean, Elizabeth, a lot of these candidates have very good, um, very good proposals. We're going to need to win the Senate, though. And that's going to be really important Mm -hmm. because the way it's set up right now, there's going to be a lot of stuff that's not going to get voted on unless we get going with the Senate. So that is really important. I think it's like very helpful if people can pick a Senate race that they're interested in and get involved. Like there's a really great guy named jamie something who's running against lindsey graham and that is a great race like it's a small state and he's a great candidate and there are a lot of african-americans moving back to the south and so there's like this you know people this group that's been very underrepresented in the government but uh and so that would be a really great race to get involved in there are all sorts of interesting senate races and especially when you live in california or new york to pick a senate race like that like i'm trying to get involved in like dan down ballot races in in alabama because Mm -hmm. alabama has not a lot of resources and so and the democrats in alabama really don't have a lot of resources so that's another one there are a lot of really great opportunities in different small states and and so, I mean, Colorado is the Senate seat that we could definitely win. Uh, there are also the Senate really matters because even if we get a really great president in there, if they can't get those bills to the Senate, it's not going to matter. So that's something to yeah. really think about. Evan, why don't yeah. you jump in on the climate? Because Evan's degree is in um community planning and geography. And so he just why don't you just because we're on the topic. Um, just jump in with your with your thoughts. Oh well, I mean, I I, I couldn't agree more. It's a it's a, we're in a crisis. I, I think a lot of I mean, there's a literally a consensus amongst uh, scientists. I mean, here we are in Southern California. We 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 watched uh, 
we've watched some of the biggest fires um, ever occurring in the last few years. It's it's out of control. I mean, I, I'm all for the Green New Deal, and I guess maybe Alexis and I differ a little bit. Um, you know, I think um, AOC is the future of 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 the Democratic Party um, at least, and uh, and that you know this is something that we can't afford. I see this like I mean, talking about this in terms of recovery, we've hit rock bottom. I mean, I don't want right. to know. I think we've hit rock bottom a few times. I don't want to know how bad it could get. I mean, obviously yeah. nowadays we know with with addiction, death is the you know outcome. Unfortunately, a lot of times, but. I think as a, as a culture, we're, we're addicted to oil and, you know, we're, yeah. these are all the, these are all the consequences and we're facing them. Consumerism. There's, there's, yeah. Yeah. Well, sure. And there's, there's some very interesting, uh, theories about how we pay for that. I mean, obviously, um, the, there's, there's a lot of money in the, in the, in the, in the federal reserve and the, and there's, there's a lot of money, um, in the, in the U S treasury, uh, rather, you know, and it's going toward the Pentagon. It's going toward securing um, oil supplies and transportation. Um, so this is a crisis, I, and 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 I think we're going to have to get very inventive and uh, about how we deal with it. I think it's all tied together. I think the nature of work and um, this sort of uh, the fact that over the last few years we've become more productive uh, as workers, we're earning less. We're working two, sometimes three jobs. We're miserable. We're stressed. Uh, this stuff to me, it's all connected. And, and so I welcome people like AOC. And I think that's the future if we're going to survive this. I love her. I don't know what you're talking about. I watched that documentary on Netflix and I was bawling my eyes out. I'm just saying as far as winning about, you know, like if, if AOC was the Democratic candidate, I don't think we're going to you know, those, those moderate Republicans that we need to move over. I don't think that they're going to move over that way. And all I care about right now is, is winning. Um, but, but as far as green new deal and doing these things that we need to do to turn around, I don't even know if the ship could turn around, but to at least slow it down a little bit. Um, I'm all for it, but a lot of the times Evan talks about how, um, because we, because obviously we're consuming, we're using a lot of plastic, but on a, on a bigger level, like we don't live near where we work anymore. And public transportation is often, especially in California, just like off the table. And so we're just constantly polluting. And, and now China won't even take our recycling and we're just burning it all. And there's so many things that we could be doing, um, immediately to kind of like slow down this, this, it's scary. uh, yeah, it, it's it's scary. I mean, the the I don't want to say good news, but something to think about is that like 70 percent of the pollution comes from oil companies. Like it's a huge amount of it is from oil companies. So there is in some ways there are certain corporate changes that are going to have to happen. It's not just your bottles, you know, and yeah. I think we yeah. are always taught to think it's like the bottles and the, I mean, I look, I recycle my bottles and, uh, I don't drive, we don't drive much because we live in a city, but there, there's a lot. I mean, the good news is there's a lot of exciting science and there's a lot of innovation and we're going to have to do deal with it. The bad news is that, I, I mean, these, the refugee situation is largely about mm. climate and that is really 
pretty terrifying. So we are in this situation where, um, where the, I mean, that's very scary. I, I think it's, it's tough. I mean, there's a, there, you know, we're going to see, we're going to have to sort of see what happens. It's scary. And the environment is a big deal. And the, and I think with that, a lot of, there's been a lot of uns, un, uh, like there's been a lot, you know, we thought that it would just, that the temperature would just go up a little bit. And I think it's going up a lot more and it's fair. I think it's a very scary time and our kids are going to have to deal with it and we're going to have to deal with that. It, it, I, I'm worried, you know, I'm pretty worried about that. I wanted to ask you about something that makes me optimistic, similar to Alexis's story about our Republican friends in, in, in Orange County. You happen to work um, amongst other places you write for, but for the Bulwark, which yes. is basically founded by Bill Crystal, who so, yes. um, you know, for those who don't know, he was one of the biggest boosters of the Iraq war, a steadfast, yes. you know, George Bush Republican, same with David from those two gentlemen, yeah. right. And who's, who's a Canadian, but you know, he was a George Bush speechwriter. I switched between, uh, Seth Abramson, uh, on Twitter yourself, David right. Korn, Bill Crystal and David Frum. Yeah. It's like we've all found, like, would you have thought just three years ago that you would be happy to work for such a, a, a an intelligent right. guy? By the way, I just want to say I, I, I have come around. I love this guy. I loved when he um, confronted Joe Scarborough <laughs> and, and, you know, because they would have Donald Trump on their, on their stupid show every day right. and normalize, exactly. normalize him. And he had the guts to challenge them. Uh, Joe Scarborough owes Bill Crystal a huge apology uh, because he yeah. did point out that indeed that was the case and, and was one of the big, I think, things that led to, to Trump's normalization. Uh, I agree. I've become very friendly with Bill and and also David. And I am very. I wonder myself if I would have if I would be brave enough if my party lost its mind to stand up. Because that's what happened. I mean, and that is, imagine if there were a Democrat who was an autocrat. And maybe they didn't look quite the same as Trump. But it's a very brave thing. And it's funny because I, I was at this CPAC thing. And yeah. um, <laughs> and I was at a speech and somebody, it was like a little speech. And someone said, the true enemy of Trumpism is Bill Crystal." And I thought, what? <laughs> I thought I'm gonna have to tell him that he's gonna love that. And yeah, so these people have really, and people like Bill Crystal and Rick Wilson and and um, David have really put their livelihood on the line. I mean, some sometimes they do okay, but they're they don't they're not their readership is largely the Republicans. They've sort of lost. And so they mm -hmm. have these disenfranchised Republicans and then Democrats. And so uh, it's a very brave thing to do. And I don't necessarily agree with some of the other policies that they have. But I, when it comes to this, I, I'm very much in awe of that. I think it's very brave. And I mean, George well, has done that really same cool. thing. Mm, yeah, I on. think so, too. And George Conway has done that same thing. Like, I'm very impressed. I don't know that I could just completely break with my spouse like that. You know, yeah. Well, it is. It's like hitting rock bottom, admitting we have a problem, and and you know, again, to kind of frame this in terms of of a recovery, they've they've been brave enough to kind of, I guess, take that first step, admitting that they have a problem. 
It's absolutely I'm, I'm true. curious, Evan. So like, obviously, so you're a white male in America. You obviously have always been progressive. I know that it's just part of your Canadian culture and just who you are. Mm. Although your father isn't. So that's kind of interesting. No. But um, how, how do you feel, um, you know, these big, these big marches and the Me Too movements and the Time's Up and all, all of this stuff? that's going on um you know we had a conversation about about all of the allegations happening with al and then we had a conversation the other day in the car um and the way that the democratic party kind of shunned him and was like get out i was just curious what evan's perspective is you know we're two women obviously like we're extreme feminists but like what how are you feeling the Al Franken one was upsetting. I, I don't even necessarily want to get into that because I, I don't know. And, and, you know, with any allegation like that, I, you know, need to um, respect women who are brave enough to, to speak out. But more, more generally, I mean, as a white male uh, who certainly benefits from the, the, the privileges associated with that, privileges, I suppose, earned through like 10,000 years of violence and and, and bloodshed. I mean, I would just say I'm, I'm, I'm tired. I'm tired, and we, we we messed up so bad. We've done a terrible job. We made a huge mess. Um, it was wrong. You know, uh, the, there may have been some advancements along the way, despite, again, the sort of uh, violent, androcentric um, uh, system that, that, that literally has been being built for, for the last 10,000 years, and I'm done. I'm I'm done. Please, somebody else take over. We made a huge mess. We made a huge mistake. Um, I just love I, your perspective. <laughs> I think it is interesting, though. I, I mean, you know, I, I wouldn't be too hard on yourself, Evan. It, it's no. funny that we all feel that same. It, the, the Al Franken thing, I, I tend to feel the same way about that too, that it was just too fast and that there wasn't enough time spent investigating it and that he stepped down too soon. But, and I have to tell you, I have a 17 year old and he was just devastated. Mm. He was Mm. just absolutely devastated. And then the next day he was so devastated because he, because Al Franken had been our 2020 pick. And uh, Mm. then the next day, because he's so great. I mean, he, you know, whatever. Anyway, the next day, um, Doug Jones was running for Senate and in that special election. And my son was like, I'm going to watch it. And I was like, don't even bother. He's not going to win. It's Alabama. The chances of having a Democrat elected in Alabama are, you know, infant, you know, are, are zero. And then he and then he won. And it was like this amazing moment. So I will say that was pretty great. <laughs> That was mm-hmm. the one good thing. So that was pretty great. So moving into like recovery mode, I want to know what all of our plans are personally. <laughs> um, you know, you had touched earlier on like that you can't, you can't go out and fight every battle and that you have to take care of your mental health. And I feel like, um, we all we are all feeling uh, you know uh, the crisis you know and um i remember talking to my therapist 
this was around the time of the women's marches and I was dealing with some depression and I had just kind of had a baby and I was like, I need to go. And she's like, Oh no, you don't like this is not, not good for you. It is not good for you. I was like, I need to go March. And she's like, this energy right now is just like consuming you and it's leading to trouble. And this is not what you need to be doing. So I know that for me personally, um, education is really important. And that's why I'm so grateful that you came on the podcast to talk about this. Cause I feel like even though my community of, of, of listeners, um, are a lot of, you know, they're older or and educated females. Um, it's amazing technology these days, how you can like see where your listeners are from and their backgrounds and their age and all of that. Um, but I don't know how, active they are in in politics and i don't know if they really understand or recognize i'm hoping that they do how important their voice is and how much it matters um so my goal is is to promote education um for myself personally you know and to have these difficult conversations to grow and to learn to take time to meditate on the things that that i'm i'm learning before i move into action because i feel like that's really important is to um let things sit in for a second and and to kind of ruminate for a little bit before i decide okay like what are my actions because if we're all moving from a reactive place of like okay we've got to do this now 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 and we've got to push 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 we're all gonna burn out we're all gonna burn out and i feel like um the me too movement and all of these amazing movements that are happening you know if if we're all burnt out then we're not gonna we're not gonna last long and it's not gonna be long lasting so all of these things i'm doing um and and that's what I'm doing on a personal level for me. And then I I'm hoping, you know, moving forward that that we can um, as Americans and as a society and as a culture um, and as a planet, we can look at our values and really acknowledge, you know, take a good hard look at our at how, what's gotten us here, where we need to go what things matter to us and then um, start building that the, you know, start working on the foundation again. I would say if you're a listener right now, what I would do is I would go and find a race to adopt. If you live mm-hmm. in a red state, even better, like your local congressional race or a Senate race. And if you live in a blue state, I would look for a swing district. Now, there are a couple of really great organizations that can help you. There's um, Swing Left, and you can just Google that. That's an amazing organization that was committed to flipping house races, and um, they did a great job. I mean, we flipped the house. So Swing Left is a great organization. I would get involved with Swing Left, or um, there's individual, Indivisible, but that's a little more complicated. If I... The thing I would do if I were one of your listeners is I would go on swing left. I would find the closest swing district because a lot of us live in blue states and blue cities, but some of us don't. I, I mean, I, I go on this progressive XM all the time and uh, a lot of these callers are in places where they are sort of the liberal in a red state or a red city. And, and so, um, there, 
I would get on swing left. I would find the closest district and I would do whatever you feel comfortable doing, either make a donation or have a fundraiser or have a bake sale or do a garage sale and, and send the money to that. I mean, I think little actions like that end up making us feel a lot better. I feel, I think I feel a lot better than some people just because I know that I'm out there at least doing what I can do. And so I think some action is always good. And I think it's very healing for us. And then I do the other stuff to take care of myself. You know, I'm sober a long time, but I'm, I go to therapy and I go to meetings and I go to hot yoga just because, and I, cause I have all these kids and otherwise if I don't put the oxygen mask on myself first, I'm always kind of a nightmare. <laughs> and even like sometimes I'll travel. <laughs> it's true. Like I'll travel and I won't go to a meeting for a couple of days and my husband is not in the program. <clears throat> and he'll be like, Oh my God, go to a meeting. Please go to a meeting. You're making me crazy. Here's where the meetings are. And, and so I try to really go to meetings when I travel. I just find if I don't go to meetings, I get very like, grabby and crunchy and, and or I get very anxious it, it can go either way it's never it's never good so I try to go to a lot of meetings and I try and I really try to just sort of keep uh keep myself in the range of normal I don't know how you're doing it because I look at your Twitter feed and I, when I when Evan first proposed you to come on on the podcast Right. I was like, I- I've read through a hundred tweets and it's only been, it's one day. Like, <laughs> I mean, it. actually the good thing is, do it. I mean, it's bad. I like get up and I start reading the news and I start tweeting about it. But what's interesting <laughs> is it actually has made me a much more productive writer. Like I used to write mm. much less than I do, but because I got so into Twitter, I found that I produce a lot of content. So I, I never was a journalist. I was always a novelist. And then I became an opinion writer. So now I'll have an editor call me at 10 a.m. and be like, can you get this done by two? And I'll be like, I think I can. And so that's really great. It it does get a little obsessive and I have to be careful. And I also have to be careful because as I've gotten more followers and I've gotten and I write for more, the thing that makes the writing for a conservative news source makes them crazy. Like the the conservatives are so, the Trumpers are so mad at me. Like, they're like, how dare you write for the bulwark? I'm like, you hate the bulwark. You hate them anyway. Like, why do you care? Um, but so I have to be careful. There are certain things I can't say. And it's funny because even I'll see a tweet and I'll be like, you can say that, but I can't just because I'm under more scrutiny. And so I have to be really careful about that stuff, which is fine. I, I don't care. I'm happy to be scrutinized. The, What's interesting, I think this is so true because I came up, I'm 40. So I came up in, in the, I've been in the media for a long time in different, you know, as first as a novelist. And so I see that used to be you would write something. And even if it wasn't for such a fancy place, even if it was for like Mademoiselle, which isn't there anymore, or Modern Bride, things would get attention because there just wasn't so much content. And now there's so much content that unless something is really, unless you push it out, it doesn't necessarily get a lot of eyeballs, which is both good and bad. So Mm. it's just very, it's like a very different world than it was 20 years ago. And a lot of the places that were like the fancy places don't even exist anymore, which is really strange. And then everything's changed. 
Everything's changed even in the last uh, two years. It's very, very crazy time we live in. Um, for, for myself, uh, you know, what I guess I would advocate uh, for listeners or something I do is stay informed. I mean, I've, I was a bit of a news junkie before, but, you know, the Obama era was a bit sleepy. There were, wasn't uh, really any right. scandals per se, uh, you know, and then this happened. Except for the and, tan and suit. So, the tan suit. I remember, oh, my God, I was showing Alexis or someone that. Um, the other day, because we saw Trump coming into that uh, church in his golf cleats and his crazy right, tent right. legs are so wide that he wears. <laughs> terrible, terrible with his greasy hair. Anyway, but yeah. uh, what I do is I stay informed. And so even um, when was it? I think maybe after the Mueller report dropped with a thud, thanks to Bill Barr. First, I would recommend anyone who hasn't to read it, um, because if you've read it and you really believe there was no collusion, no obstruction, um, I I think maybe you want to test your reading comprehension skills because it's full (laughs) of some crazy, crazy stuff. Evan, bring in the heat. Well, it doesn't even touch on, you know, so I've been talking a lot to people and no one knows who George Nader is. Of course, he was just arrested for uh, child porn. Well, he that he was taken to Mar-a-Lago in 2018. You know, you start talking like this and people assume you're a conspiracy theorist, but it's actually all in the news. It's actually exactly what happened. Yeah, it's it's exactly what happened. He was cooperating um, with, uh, I, I believe, the the uh, special counsel um, and certainly maybe the counter uh, intelligence investigations that, that, that it all kind of started with. He was of course the guy who brought together the heads of uh, a few States who it looks like, and he was the, the, the one of the connections with the Russians too, who looked like they were, they were actually conspiring and forming some kind of agreement to help Trump um, win the election. It looks like maybe he wasn't cooperating as well as they did, so they unsealed this indictment, arrested him when he touched down in LaGuardia the other day. So we'll see where that uh, leads to. But uh, I could go down the rabbit hole. I won't. But I will stop. suggest Just to people. Just tell me what you're yeah, doing. I'm stopping. <laughs> Read. So after the Mueller report dropped. Imagine thought, being his I, wife. I, no, I'm just uh, well, uh, I, I met someone who has a similar. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So I, I switched from like MSNBC because it wasn't going deep enough to Twitter. And, and, and I would just recommend a few people and, you know, at Molly Jong fast would be at the top. Oh, of thank list. you. Uh, <laughs> Seth Abramson, David from David Korn. David from, yeah. Uh, David. She great. wrote David Korn is yes. great. Muller. She wrote, um, was uh, is is one of my favorite uh, podcasts still to this day. Bill Crystal, uh, Virginia yeah. Heffernan, you know, and then and then you can like learn about other people, Mimi Roca. So all these contributors yeah, who you'll see amazing. on the news talk for like a minute will read the re- will write these longer pieces that anyone who wants mm-hmm. to stay informed because I mean the sort of main pillar of democracy is is knowledge and information so i would just encourage anyone to go out and learn because what's going on now is this epic battle for the soul of america nothing's been Mm -hmm. more interesting and at the same time we've never seen i don't think in years anyway the quality of journalism that's happening right now so i just encourage people to wake up open your eyes (laughs) read about it learn what's happening Thank you, Evan. Okay, so we we always I hate to cut you off, Evan. I love you. Um, We always (laughs) end each episode with a game, a round of Would You Rather. Have you ever played Would You Rather? 
We're no, doing Would You I'm... Rathers at the end because we talk about a lot of heavy stuff on my podcast. And then people are always like, it's just so heavy. It's an hour of such heavy <laughs> stuff. So I like to, you know, like, you know, like quit being politically correct for a second and, and play a round of Would You Rather. And this is tailored to this is Molly version of Would You Rather. Okay. So yes. um, the first question is, would you rather... Jared Kushner or Trump Jr. <laughs> oh, would you rather have sex with them? <laughs> I, it's, I can. I'm sorry. I mean, I, they're both terrible. I, 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 mean, I, I, I mean, they're both so off. And they're both, they're both so, I, 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 they're both so awful. And they're so, I, I mean, I don't know. They're both terrible. I, I can't, I can't pick. I don't know. I, 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 I mean, it, I, I can't, I'm sorry. I, I guess Kushner, because at one point he was a Democrat. That's all okay, I, I would have picked I mean, Kushner, too. Okay, thank you, God. Uh, yeah. His very nice eyebrows, and also too. Right, and also because he doesn't talk, so at least you're not. Like, you know yeah, if you had sex with Junior, he would immediately tweet about it. Like, and say something mean. So at least with Garrett, he's haunting. Oh uh, Trump Jr. would have been like having sex right now. Her tits aren't big right. enough, you know. Like he would have been right. just going off on Some Twitter, like as you're doing it. Exactly <laughs> something terrible. Okay, a also, little bit less. Yeah. Le- okay, on to the next one because this one's a little bit easier. Beto or Booker? Oh, see, I love both <laughs> of them. It would be a hard pick. I mean, I guess mm-hmm. I-, I love Booker because he's so smart. <laughs> Um, I love Beto. I don't know. Either one. It's a draw. <laughs> it's a draw. My pick would it's probably help. That's a, it's a hard one. That is a hard one. I mean, Evan? Beto is so <laughs> handsome. Uh, he's so, so handsome. handsome. And oh, I've heard him you. speak in real life. Oh, he's so, uh, he's, 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 like he's like a little, he's a little bit of a convict too, which makes me like really just all he about was a rock star. it. You know? He was. A DUI. I mean, exactly. I have been arrested for a DUI. I, I, yeah, you haven't lived. Right, exactly. I mean, I lived in New York, so I never got arrested for a DUI, but many of the people in my life have, including my mother. So, mm-hmm. we're very, we're, yes, exactly. And if I lived in California, okay, the, I would. The last one is okay, you're trapped in a room. Would you rather right. be trapped in a room with Melania or Ivanka? Melania, no question, because at least she's a victim a little bit. I mean, (laughs) she's not, she's not a a Melania, no question, Melania. This is like, I have a secret, I I secretly feel bad for Tiffany. I was actually thinking about, I was talking Mm -hmm. about this somewhere. You know, I feel like Tiffany, right. I mean, they, none of, everyone's mean to her. She's, she's got this mom where the, he was terrible to the mom. I, I mean, he's been terrible to all the wives, but. I don't know the one Trump kid where I feel for them is Tiffany. So yeah. yes, I, I'm surprised yeah, she's not like a pill popper or something. Like, how are you surviving I mean, that trauma? <laughs> I want to know. I, I want to know how I are you so bad resilient? For those kids. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't feel. Bad I feel for bad for the littlest. Wait. Yeah. How come we never talk about little? What's his name? I don't even know his Baron. name. The he's, kid. The first Baron. The first kid. He's, how could nobody I, even talking about like where is Baron? I mean, the, like, is he alive? Is he okay? The good news. Well, you, the good news about Baron is that they're leaving him. Alive. I, I, I think he's. I think it's. 
gotta be. I feel for him. I, I think he's gotta have a terrible time of it. I mean, I, I feel bad for. I feel. I, I feel him and Tiffany. I feel like they should get a sort of hidden from public view. I mean, of yeah. course, the you know the right wing was happy to attack the the um was happy to attack the Obama Obama's girls, kids. Oh my god, it was horrendous right. and just so straight horrendous. up racist. And we should never exactly. stoop to that level. But I'm just I always wonder like what where is little Baron? Like how come we never see him? Like where? Yeah, you know what I mean. Like he's just kind of like I don't know. I mean, but I guess it's um, always been like shit storm after shit storm. So it's like you can't keep up. Like there's no normalcy. Like you would see like the the Obama family together more often because again, like there was just no controversy. Like it was just kind of like, oh, it's Easter. And you know, like it wasn't like Obama right. was staring into the sun all the time or like doing all of, like the wacky <laughs> shit <laughs> that Trump does. Like you can't focus on like, oh, and there's little Baron, the first kid of the White House. You know what I mean? It's like because right. Donald Trump is like, you know, not singing to the national anthem or forgets to put his hand up or is hair is flying off his head or whatever it is right. like you can't keep okay. up with ugh, it's just no time to keep up with little baron and that's maybe a good I thing know. one day hopefully it's- he'll be able to go into protective service hiding or something like that and <laughs> I feel just start a new kids. life with his new name and uh, all of yeah, that i feel for the kids i, I just i do I, I mean i don't feel for the big kids but i feel for baron and tiffany yeah. You know, poor Tiffany. So, yeah, uh, poor Tiffany. I'm well, so thank happy you so to be much on for coming podcast. on. Thank this you was so amazing. Much for me. Thank you so well, you much guys for coming are fabulous. on. Thank I hope you. everybody thank feels you. better. This week's affirmation is I am worth loving. There is love all around me. And so it is. <laughs>